Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here. Amen. You know what? I was. I think that's awesome what we just saw up there. Uh, Jesus, one of the things he did is he always went where his father was. He was doing the work where his father was doing. Now we can take part with somebody, with another church, where we're seeing lots of salvations happen, that we can help them with that. That's awesome. Uh, this morning, we're going to return to the topic of one another. Uh, past little while, Pastor David opened up uh, the topic of one another. And uh, tonight, or today, <laughs> let me stop. Pastor Daniel this morning talked about having butterflies in his stomach. <laughs> Doesn't usually have butterflies in his stomach, he says. I believe it. Uh, Thursday, we were for coffee, and, and uh, we were talking, and I was like, they asked me, oh, so are you ready for Sunday? Well, no, not, not yet. <laughs> and uh, last night, as I'm, I'm going to sleep, I'm thinking, Lord, <laughs> I know what I'm talking about. I need to hear from you. <laughs> so throughout the whole night, uh, things are going on. I woke up this morning, and you know what? The butterflies in Pastor Daniel's stomach, the idea that God is, is doing something, he doesn't know what, I want to confirm that. <laughs> God is doing something. He's always doing something. But I think there's, there's some special things that he's doing today. Uh, you know, the funny thing, too, was we're out for coffee, and, and Pastor John said, oh, yeah, he's ready for his sermon next week. <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> uh, so today we're going to talk about one another. We're going to talk about care. Uh, in the last song that we sang about change, I'm going to look at some of my notes here. So if I'm not looking towards you, just give me a little bit of patience here. So I don't think it catches anyone off guard to say that a world is changing. So I found it interesting that the last song we were singing was talking about God's change. I mean, there's always change going on, uh, always change going on in life in our society. Given the pace of society, uh, you've already seen lots of change, I would think. Even in my short 40 years, there's, there's been a ton of change. Uh, so change isn't new. Now, whether you see change as progress, for the mo most part, it's going to relate according to your goals and your values. And uh, For the Christian, progress in individuals, families, societies is measured, I think, in relation to the change goals set in accordance with the character, person, and revealed will of God. Not according to what society necessarily says. Now, whether progress, or not, whether progress or not, change is change, and change for whatever benefit it may bring always comes with a cost. Our society, families, even individuals have been going through major changes in definition, in identity, in function, etc., and part of the cost is now coming to our homes. In 2014, uh, UK publication The Guardian reported that the World Health Organization estimates globally for the first time in history the number of people aged 65 and over will, by 2050, outnumber children aged five and under. In the same publication, 2017, an article reported, based on a survey carried out for a commission on loneliness, almost three quarters of older people in the UK are lonely. And more than half of those have never spoken to anybody about how they feel. The UK, fairly recently actually, appointed a minister of loneliness to tackle the issue of social isolation. Can you imagine that being your job title? 
I'm the minister of loneliness. <laughs> Almost sounds like, like an old Beatles song or something. That, I don't know. Uh, but if you think, well, that's just on the other side of the pond there. In 2018, CBC Radio discussed the question of, should Canada develop a strategy to conduct the growing problem of loneliness? In 2017, CBC ran an article, Lonely in Vancouver? So are 30% of its young people. This isn't just a, something that applies to the older generation. It's the young people, too, surprisingly. In the same year, the Globe and Mail updated a 2013 article, Life of Solitude, a Loneliness Crisis is Looming. And the article reported that when the Vancouver Foundation, which was a community outreach charity, inquired as to what bothered Vancouverites, the biggest issue people had is that they feel it, it, wasn't, it wasn't housing, it wasn't crime, it wasn't drugs. The biggest issue that was reported uh, was that they felt lonely, isolated, and unconnected to their communities. This is Vancouver, by the way. Some of the reasons the article inferred, uh, some of the, the social reasons was they saw a loss of hangouts and there was reaction to social network. Uh, this idea that we're all connected, but we're really not. Uh, and even the affordability of housing, which I'm sure many of you are extremely well aware, that, that's a major issue around our area. Now, I'm thinking, well, that's Vancouver, though. This hit home for me. In the same Globe and Mail article I read, I read this. I'm going to try not to butcher her name, but Shaheen uh, Shivji Shiv was happier in Kabul. There were bombs going off outside the compound where she worked for a development agency, but she preferred life in the Afghan capital to the one she had at home in Abbotsford, BC. For one simple reason, she wasn't lonely. And this person, by the way, uh, in the article is reported to be working as a communication manager for a local government, lives with her parents, has one friend she texts. In Abbotsford, lonely. And she's not alone, <laughs> well, I mean, in a way. <laughs> but she's not alone. She's not isolated that way. There's lots of people. There may be people here in our congregation that feel that way too. It can be hard to reach out when you feel alone. And there's all kinds of things that factor into that, right? The McLean's Magazine in 2014 notes noted that more than 30% of Canadians now say they feel disconnected from their neighbors. Well, half of Americans admit they don't even know the names of theirs. Our lack of connection, lack of healthy development on our ability to make positive connections in social and family, it affects our families our identity, our physical health, our workplaces, our national identity, even important conversations regarding topics like politics in the further direction of our society. You ever think, I wasn't expecting this kind of conversation when I came into church this morning. <laughs> <laughs> but from the things I've read, things I've, I've understood, even the things I, I connect with through work, uh, suicide rates are up. Drug usage is up, is up. Pornography usage is off the charts. Divorce rates, single family rates are all up. Now at the heart of all this stuff, and they're complex 
issues, a lot of them, but the heart of much of it stems from a lack of real, healthy, positive connections with others. I think a lot of us are well aware of issues we face in the Fraser Valley, where we live. To different degrees, perhaps, but, <laughs> you know, I, I, was, I was telling the pastors, you know, I was at a conference last year, this is last year, and uh, you know, the fentanyl crisis is quite huge. And I sat in a conference with uh, all different types of uh, helping professions. And, and experts and, and topics were, ex were explored and discussed. But the, uh, the chief medical officer for the province of BC and uh, the chief of police, they're up there and they're talking and they basically said the same thing. We don't know what to do. We've got a massive issue, not just the drug thing, that that's, that's, was the topic of the conversation, but beyond that, We've got a massive issue. We don't know what to do. We're doing everything we can. It's not enough. In March, Pastor David preached, every single person is important. Pastor Daniel encouraged us that we need each other. That when we get together, life is exchanged. And Pastor Nelson encouraged us to consider one another while not trying to conform them to who you are. And that being members of one another means we're connected. You know, the church of God, his people, people need Jesus. A lot of them get to know Jesus through you. A lot of people have said, and I've heard it said that, you know, <clears throat> I love God, it's his kids I'm not crazy about. <laughs> There's reasons for that. <laughs> John, 1 John 4, 7 states, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Love and its outward expression, and love demands expression, is such a part of the character of God that to say I love God means I will also love those he loves. I can't have an intimate relationship with God without loving the ones he loves because that's who he is. By very nature of who God is, So the topic was about care. And I was thinking, that God led me to something in the Bible. I was thinking, okay, well, where are illustrations of care? Because throughout the Bible and throughout lives and throughout history, we can find illustrations of care. But he brought me to one that, for me, was kind of poignant. I, it, it, I found it interesting. It's going to be short. The sermon could be really short. <laughs> That's okay. If, if, you have a, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Samuel 23. Verse 15. For a quick bit of background here before we read this. Uh, if you know the story of King David, King David was uh, perhaps the most famous 
of the Jewish kings of the Old Testament time in, in Israel's history. And uh, prior to him becoming king, at this point in his life, in his history, he was already anointed and said, you're going to become king. The king at the time was Saul, and Saul had three sons, I believe, and a daughter. And one of his sons, Jonathan, uh, who was quite an amazing man, a uh, man of God, a man of faith, uh, found a real kinship with David. Loved David dearly. In fact, they, they said that they loved each other as if it was their own. Now, a lot of modern commentaries have tried to twist this and try to make it something which it wasn't. Some people said, oh, they had a homosexual relationship or something like that. It wasn't the case. During the, but it was such a deep and a profound love for each other. Something that to be honest, it's very interesting. In this, in this society <laughs> where people talk about love and the expression of love and acceptance of relationships, all that kind of stuff, why does everything always have to be sexual? What happened to brotherhood? What happened to deep affection for each other? beyond some kind of romantic engagement. What happened to that? Why does that have to become something other? That is something so valuable and so profound. These two men, they had that. Jonathan, as a son of the king, was a prince and in line for the throne. The very throne that actually David was told that he was anointed and going to take, not Saul, which meant According to the word of God, Jonathan potentially would, well, he would lose his position. He wouldn't be a king. Earlier, they talked about their relationship, how Jonathan even gives his robe and his bow and stuff. And by doing this, symbolically, he's even saying, the kingship is yours. Saul is that says, what are you doing? This guy is going to take your inheritance away. Now, Saul's already heard he's not supposed to have the kingdom. It, he lost it. But why, why should that stand in this way? <laughs> he has a kingdom. He's going to make sure David dies. He's going to go to his son, Jonathan. And Jonathan, it's not so much the point of it, because at one point Saul tries to kill Jonathan anyway. So, so David's on the run from Saul. 1 Samuel 23, verse 15. While David was at Horish in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horish and helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Then Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horish. What hit me there, and there was a couple of things, but in relation, in the context of caring for others. Jonathan's care for David at this point, David, David was in a situation where he needed strength. He needed someone else. He, he was surrounded by men, but but there was something there from a dear friend he needed. And Jonathan, though technically David is supposed to be his enemy in a political sense, 
but Jonathan didn't care about he put aside. And though technically he could have been at, at fear of reprisal for his dad, the king, because by doing that, essentially he's becoming a traitor to the, the kingship. Though Jonathan didn't see that because he saw what God said and stuck with that. He went out. He saw his friend was in need, knew his friend was in need. I don't actually know how he knew because Saul didn't know, but, but Jonathan knew where he was. And did something which sometimes we, we take for granted, and that was being intentional. He intentionally went out to give care to his friend. And how did he do it? In this case, the way that he administered care is he helped David find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. And he returned to what God had said. He returned again to what God, we, we talked about this, it had been preached just recently in this congregation. But remembering what God has said in your life, what God has spoken over you, what God has promised. And Jonathan returned to that for David. David's a man after God's own heart. And even, even he, needed, he needed that bit of a boost. quote I read. Uh, the best way to not feel hopeless is to get up and do something. Don't wait for good things to happen to you. If you go out and make some good things happen, you'll fill the world with hope and you'll fill yourself with hope. Now Barack Obama said that. He's a political person. It doesn't matter. The quote's good. <laughs> The quote's good. Uh, John Bunyan said, you have not lived today until you've done something for someone who can never repay you. Charles Dickens said, just throwing out quotes here, no one is useless in this world who lightens the burden of another. First Peter 1.22 says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. You know, it's, it's amazing when I think about it. The things I read in the beginning about some of the issues that are faced in the world. The idea of isolation and loneliness. Separation, lack of community. And the subsequent issues that come out of this as people look for ways to get their needs met. Look for ways of connection. Look for distraction from the, the pain that they're feeling. Look for something Church, we, we have something in, built in us, ingrained into us. A delivery system for not only working with those needs, but even a mandate through the expression of love that God's provided. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son to judge the world, or to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. We look at Acts and the transformation that happened in the church. And by the way, what separates the church from a number of the social organizations and stuff that occur around us? Because there's a lot of great things out there. There's a lot of great groups of people. They care for other people. They, but what separates us? What makes us different or unique? 
Can I suggest the Holy Spirit? <laughs> we have the Holy Spirit of God. God gave the Holy Spirit to the church. He indwells in us. He indwells in you. The richness, the power, the provision of God through Jesus Christ, by the power of his Holy Spirit, by faith, it dwells in you. Now Jesus said, greater works than me you'll do. Whether it's quantity or quality, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Take both. In history, Justin Martyr, he was talking about the church of the time. And by the way, even when we read Acts, being Acts in, in the day of Pentecost, we see what was happening in the church. I've heard it said we don't want to romanticize the church and, and ignore that there has always been issues. And the truth is, there always has been issues in the church, even in Acts. There was even squabbling, disagreements, and they're all, they're, we're on earth. <laughs> we're being conformed to the image of Christ. We're not quite there yet. There's always going to be issues. There's always going to be things that we need to work through, individually and together. Just some modern history, he said this about the church of his time. We who used to value the acquisition of wealth and possessions more than anything else now bring what we have into a common fund and share it with anyone who needs it. We used to hate and to destroy one another and refuse to associate with people of another race or country. Now because of Christ, we live together with such people and pray for our enemies. Wouldn't that be amazing to say that about Abbotsford or the valley? We used to be this way. We're not there anymore. I remember even a few years ago, I mean, I grew up in Abbotsford. I grew up in the Fraser Valley, back and forth a little bit between Abbotsford and Mission. And uh, I really loved being in Abbotsford. I loved the community that we had. And uh, over the years, I've watched it change. If I recall correctly, at one time, uh, Chilliwack was in the Guinness Book of World Records, of all things, Chilliwack, for most churches per capita. Now, maybe someone wants to correct me, but that's what I read somewhere. And uh, the Fraser Valley was known as sort of a Bible belt. And now that's, for some people, not a positive thing at all. But for me, it was. The people I met with, the communities I, I, I saw, was there issues? Absolutely. Was there problems? Yeah, you bet. But I met some incredible people with incredible passion and love that were committed to serving other people. I saw a working community, not a perfect community. In around 2010, somewhere between 2007, 2010, I think, uh, I think it was also McLean's Magazine, where at that time, because of some local gang wars and such, we were back on the national map. Nothing to do with our churches. And we, at that time, we became, I think it was the murder capital of Canada. Right? Not a, not a very long period, at least not long enough. We were again in the, the national spotlight briefly, and that was uh, related to homelessness because local council decided to dump a bunch of chicken manure 
to discourage the homeless population from gathering there. Ouch. <laughs> now, I'm not trying to judge anybody. But the fact is, for whatever richness I saw in Abbotsford, Abbotsford's been in the news not for a lot of great reasons. So that people in other areas that can't, if they hear of Abbotsford, not usually for great reasons. And yet I look at the church and I think, God, you have, your, you have a large segment of church here. A, lo- a large population of people that say, I believe in Christ, I believe that he forgave me, I believe that he loves me, I believe that he loves my neighbors, I believe that he's called me to love my neighbors, I believe that he's provided for me and called me to provide for others, to reach out and to make a difference, to extend the love of God to other people around me, to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly before my God. A large section of people professing this is what we're called to do to love God, to love our neighbors as ourselves. We open the papers. Hmm. What does that do? Oddly enough, it gives me hope. <laughs> Is that a strange thing? I think a lot of people could react and say, well, pff, see, shows you what the church does. Hmm. See, I see God doing something here. Then when people look at Abbotsford one day, when people look at the valley, they say, this is what I know about Abbotsford. This is what I know about the Fraser Valley. What happened? Because I saw you guys were here. You're not there anymore. What happened? What changed? How did you go from the murder capital of Canada? How did you go from mistreating the homeless? Because that's what it was. How do you go from these things to over to where you are now? How did that change? We're going to have a reason. I believe it. I see it. God doesn't do things without purpose. Now for us, what do we do about it? What do we do about it? I read somewhere that somebody said, what the soul is to the body that Christians are to the world. One thing we can do about it is we think about care in relation to others. So we can be intentional. Simple as that. Be intentional. Care comes from being intentional. Now what does the care look like? Well, there's a lot of people out there that need care. And there's a wide spectrum of care that needs to be given. And I know a lot of you, if not all of you, already care about people and care for someone else. But it is very easy sometimes to lose care, to lose love. Care is always born out of love, true care, right? 
And love today seems to be an issue that we're facing. I don't know where we are on the spectrum of the end of times. I'm not going to guess. But I do know that one of the, one of the qualifiers that I talked about in the New Testament was this, this lack of love that grows. We have that. Now, could it increase? Absolutely. Could it decrease? Absolutely. I want to see a decrease. I want to see an increase in love and in care. Because the increase in love and care is part of our step towards having intimacy with God, knowing who he is. You know, God knowing you and you knowing him is extremely important to God. And to know him, to know who he is, his character, his person, what he wants to do, what he desires to do, what, how he lives, that's fundamental. That's what God wants of you. You and him, he and you. It's interesting that in the New Testament, Christ talks about appearing before judgment, that those who come and say, well, God, I did this, and I did that, and I did this, and he says, I never knew you. Knowing God requires intimacy. It, it, it's, it's a, at least it's a desire, right? Um, and love is not always an easy thing to grow. There's a lot of things that take, take out of us. I don't know where everybody is today in terms of how they feel in reaching out to people or what that looks like. Maybe some people are like, they put out their hand and it's been bit. Or they're exhausted or they're tired or they're the ones that like, I would love to, but I just, I, I just need it right now myself. I've heard sometimes the best thing for an emotionally weary heart, as hard as it is, is just extend to someone else again. Now you got to do it with wisdom. We're called to, to bear our own burdens and bear each other's burdens. And when we do that, we don't set ourselves up to be an emotional dumping ground. Right? You, you help other people bear their burdens but recognize they still have to bear their own responsibilities. We're all called to stand before God and give account of our own lives. We have to be responsible for ourselves, but we all need each other. We need each other to help bear each other's burdens. We need each other to extend care, and sometimes people are afraid to ask for care. Maybe it's shameful. Maybe it's embarrassing. Maybe I ought to be strong, or I ought to to be able to do this. I shouldn't ought to ask for help. I shouldn't feel I need this. But everybody needs help at some time. Everybody. And we know this. We can say that. But when you're in that moment that you need help, that's, that's tough. That's tough. So this morning I wanted to try something. Uh, First of all, does anyone want to say amen to any of this? <laughs> okay. 
So at least I know there's a couple of people in agreement, so this isn't going to fall too flat on this. But I'm going to ask, I'm going to try putting you in an activity here for a second. Very simple. Okay. If you've got a pen, or if you've got a phone, take an offering envelope in front of you. If you've got a phone, I text yourself. Okay. But you're going to write down an offering envelope. If you don't have a pen, like I said, take your phone and text yourself. If you've got no... Neither maybe can borrow a pen from the person beside you or something. Uh, I want to try something. So with your pen and envelope or your phone, see, I believe God talks to his church. I believe the Holy Spirit works in us, through us. So I'm going to ask you to write the name of a person or a couple or a family or a group that God's been communicating on you to connect with. Take a moment if you need to ask, to ask them. If there's somebody that's been going through your mind lately, maybe the connection's been lost, or you need to kind of re-strengthen it, or you just, you've never reached out. It was interesting, the article McLean's read earlier about how people don't even know their neighbors, the people that live next door to them. And I know there's people that have lived in communities for years. They wouldn't recognize their neighbors in a police lineup. <laughs> I guess if they're in a police lineup, <laughs> uh, the relationship might not be a one to pursue. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so I want you to write a name of a person or a couple or family or group that God's been wanting you to connect with. And I want you to take a second and think about what you can do to make that connection. If it's, if it's texting them saying, hey, how's it going? Or thinking about you or praying about you. If it's a phone call. It's, hey, do you want to go for coffee? But haven't seen you for a while. Uh, whatever if it is. Whatever it is. What is it that you need to make the connection? Think about, how can I do that? Now, once you've thought about it, I want you to write what you will do about it. And beside that, write when. Okay. If you look at my life history, I've got a whole file of good intentions. <laughs> and a lot of them are still sitting in the drawer. Right? Like, so, someone that you feel God's been calling you to connect with, whether it's a person, a couple, a family, or a group, what you can do to connect, and when you're going to do it. Everybody can do this? Okay, I'm going to give you a moment to, to do this. I don't want to rush in, but I actually, I think this is something good for us to do because the active intentionality of, of being intentionally caring for someone, which can be simply something as letting somebody know, I'm here. Now, sometimes we're like, well, if I do that, they're going to respond, and then what? I don't, know, I don't know what to do then. <laughs> well, what's the next step? <laughs> right? Like, uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not a communicative person. I don't, I don't know how to make chit-chat. Or uh, they're going to unload on me or whatever, or whatever it is, right? Let's start with step one. Let's connect. Let's intentionally know, hey, I, we're here. We care. 
with us, in us, through us, is God Almighty who cares for you. Who's provided you and me, the Holy Spirit, to go out into the world, to proclaim the gospel through words and deeds, to make disciples, to let people know that God loves them, God cares for them, and that takes more than words. It takes intention. It might take cost of some nature or other. It will take time. But it will have an impact. Everything God does ultimately produces life. So whatever God is doing through you, guess what that's going to do? Produce life. <laughs> and if it's communication skills you need, for anything. The things, you know what? God works as a spiritually to provide us. And he also gives us a lot of practical tools. And spirituality is always practical, by the way. I don't want to differentiate or create this weird dichotomy we sometimes do in church. The things of God are always practical. And God, in his practicality, also gives us what we call natural tools through people, through development, research, whatever, to give us skills that we can use in the world we live in. And there's lots of helps out there. There's tons of helps out there. And there could be more that are needed. And maybe you guys will end up filling in some of those parts that are needed as you take these steps. I want to open up an article sometime, like the one I read earlier. But in contrast to those that said, something's different. <laughs> we see this trend worldwide, but there's something different here. Why? Let's get a little bit of national focus and attention on what Christ is doing here. You will see God move. You will see life grow. God wants to do something. It was said. Even today. And he wants to do something through you. Amen? Now with those envelopes, I, I, I was trying to think, what are you going to do with those? Because <laughs> you're going to do what you said you're going to do now, right? You wrote the person, you wrote what you're going to do, and you wrote when you're going to do it. Now how do you stay accountable to that? What's that? Done. Done. <laughs> awesome. You were texting while I was preaching? Is that <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> If you need somebody to be accountable with that, talk to somebody you trust, especially if it's a sensitive thing. Uh, use wisdom in it, okay? But hold yourself to account. If you feel, like I said in the beginning, if you feel God's impressed on you at all to make this connection with somebody, well, do it. God's not wasting your time. I mean, he's got a lot of things he can do. Wasting your time doesn't need to be one of them. Right? So take the opportunity. Because when God comes to you, it's always an opportunity. 
always an opportunity. And what do the opportunities of God bring us? I'll let you think about that one. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for who you are. And thank you for your care and your compassion for us. Lord, thank you for your care and compassion for me. Lord, you are with us in the good times and the bad times. The times we feel near and the times we feel far. Lord, you don't leave us. You don't forsake us. In the richness of your love, you actively, intentionally come to us. Even pursue us if necessary. And call us to the promises of life with you. Of real and true life. Living in authentic growing life from you. Lord, in your grace, in your mercy, reach into us. Help us to extend your love and your compassion to others. Let the love of Christ grow in us, Lord God, in our spirits. And let it be so authentic that it is demonstrated outward, intentionally, with the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. Because what you do, Lord, what you do matters. What you do affects everything. You cannot change, but you change everything. And you are willing to make changes, Lord, through us. And you change in us who we are to be more like you. Help us, Lord God. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your promises. We thank you for your promises, Lord God, because they are always yes and amen. Help us, Lord. We thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. 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 And as we close, greet somebody. <laughs> Intentionally.